Hello, hola, and welcome to episode or chapter. I'll never be able to decide if it's an episode or if it's a chapter, Uh, but it's number 19 in my podcast, My Mexican Mistakes. I call it My Mexican Mistakes because I moved to Mexico City from Chicago in June, having never been to Mexico before, speaking only Spanish that I learned from telenovelas, not understanding the metric system, and apparently just being really bad at any kind of numerical translation because I still don't understand the money, even though it's on the decimal system, which I think is like the metric system and that it's all based on ones and zeros, but who knows? If I majored in math, um, you know, I'd be a doctor right now. So anyway, um, I am happy to be here in Mexico City, happy to be back. You may have noticed I missed what would have been last week's episode, because normally I do them every other Friday. But last Friday, I was back home in Chicago for a visit, and I couldn't really, you know, how could I write about my Mexican mistakes in Chicago? Then I returned here just this week, this past Tuesday. And I loved being back home and seeing my family and friends, but I also loved being back in Mexico City. From the get-go, when we disembarked from the plane, and the people who work for the airport that have the wheelchairs at the ready for the people who need wheelchairs, there was like a long line of them as I came off the plane, and they were welcoming everybody. Bienvenido, bienvenido, bienvenido a Mexico. And I'm going to tell you something, that never happens in Chicago or as far as as I could tell, anywhere else. It was like all these people... Um, just lined up with wheelchairs, and everybody was welcoming me back to Mexico. And I was happy nobody offered me a wheelchair, because then you're like, oh my God, what do I look like? Um, but anyway, so, uh, and then, I is you know, customs is always a drag, and this is a busy time of year to travel. So I will not blame Mexico City for the incredibly long wait in customs, because I'm quite certain that does happen everywhere, especially this time of year. But then when um, I was driving from the airport back to my place, and as soon as we got out of the airport, there was tax, spelled T-O-K apostrophe S. There was Veeps, spelled V-I-P apostrophe S. And there was Sanborns with the apostrophe S at the end. Three different restaurants. And Sanborns is also a store, but they have like a ton of restaurants too. As soon as I saw Sanborns, Veeps, and Tox within about half a mile of the airport, I knew I was back in Mexico City because yes, you can say the Angel of Independence um, is a landmark of Mexico City all day long, instantly recognizable any day of the week as a landmark of Mexico City. But if you ask me, Tox, Veeps, and Sanborns are the real landmarks of Mexico City. Um, All three restaurants are kind of the same. I think Sanborns is a little better, um, but and some of the Sanborns in the Central Historical District are amazingly beautiful um, and historic because they're in like palaces, Um, but they're department stores, but the restaurants are Like I said, I wouldn't, you know, there's way better food in Mexico City, but it's tough to find a more beautiful setting 
than the Sanborns on Cinco de Mayo. But as far as the Sanborns out by the airport goes, the Veeps, the Tex, these are all restaurants that I can only say would kind of remind you of the Denny's of Mexico City. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean that you know what's going to be on that menu. It's a very wide variety of things that include both Mexican and a lot of American kind of specialties, like you can get pancakes or you can get tacos pastor um, or, you know, an omelet or a barbacoa, which is like delicious barbecue meat. Um, and none of it's particularly good, but there's like a comfort level in all of them because you know exactly what it's going to taste like. Um, and these three restaurants, Veeps, Tax, and Sanborns, are everywhere in Mexico. Um, and they're open late, and the service is great, and the menu is like the war and peace of menus. Like you'd like to just get into that kitchen and see how they're doing all these things. Um, and they're not expensive, and you can just count on them. And, you know, there is, I think, a value to... It's like Stevie Wonder used to always stay at Holiday Inns, so he says, because he knew the layout of the room would be exactly the same from city to city. That's how I feel about Veep's Tax and Sanborns. I could go anywhere in Mexico, and I will find exactly the same meal at every one of those places, and it just... Besides the wheelchair attendants welcoming me, it was a huge, to me, welcoming thing. Welcome back to Mexico City. Um, And, you know, Chicago is not unfriendly. It is, I think, a pretty friendly city for the United States. But there's nothing, as I have said before, like the welcome you get in Mexico City. Um, and or Mexico, probably. I mean, if they're this nice in Mexico City, imagine what people are like out in uh, the rest of the country, which I intend to find out soon, because sometime after the first of the year, I will be traveling more throughout Mexico, and I'm sure making lots of mistakes. Um, So here I am in Mexico City for Christmas. I'm going to go to the uh, Zocalo this week because, and I've talked about the Zocalo before, but just to remind you, the Zocalo is the super gigantic plaza in the, it's like the heart of Mexico City. It's like where Mexico City started, where it was born. Um, and it's, a, the it's like a plaza that is like maybe four square city of Chicago blocks all around. Um, and it is surrounded by gigantic buildings like the Metropolitan Cathedral, the Presidential Plaza, and then two other huge buildings that I don't know the names of. But at Christmas time, they are all lit up um, with thousands, literally thousands of lights. Um, and they have created a gigantic ice skating rink in the Zocalo. So, and I've heard this year it's acrylic. I can't wait to see this. I'm not ice skating. I tried ice skating once in Chicago at Ridgeland Commons many years ago, um, and it was a disaster. I would call that my Ridgeland Commons mistake. Um, That same night, I let a girl named Lori Leahy pierce my ears in the bathroom at Ridgeland Commons um, with a needle and an ice cube. 
another big mistake. Um, so, you know, my whole life, like the lives of others, has just been one series of mistakes after the others. But I survived both. And so when I go to the Zocalo, I, I'm not going to ice skate, but I just want to see what's happening on the acrylic ice skating rink, um, which by all accounts feels just like regular ice. So we'll see about that. Um, and then I want to go to a mall called Antara. And I know I've talked about the malls before. The Antara Mall is in Polanco. And it's, you know, one of those malls that has like every single luxury store all under one roof. Like, oh, I need Louis Vuitton and Tom Ford um, and some Chanel. And there's only one place to get it. Well, actually, that's wrong because there's about five malls or six in Mexico City that have all those designer stores under one roof. Um, and Antara is one of them. And I don't really shop there, although I love to have like a coffee and a treat. And um, I mean, there's nothing you can buy there that isn't incredibly expensive. But from what I understand, they somehow create snow in the Antara Mall so that while you're shopping in the mall, you can have the experience of snow. Now, I'll be honest, I've had the experience of snow my whole life, but I'm sort of intrigued by the idea that I can have the experience of snow while I'm shopping, but yet I don't really have to live with the snow because if I don't want to experience the snow anymore, I can just walk out of the mall where it'll be like 70 degrees. Um, again, I am more curious than anything else about these experiences. Um, Mexico City is decorated throughout. Just like it's no different from you know any other city you've ever been in. Christmas decorations all over. Um, thousands of poinsettias. I don't think anywhere, nowhere in the world do people love poinsettias as much as they do in Mexico City. Um, there's a lot of traditional food. The bakeries are going crazy because, you know, uh, baker, the bakery should be the national symbol of Mexico City. That and Tacos Pastor. They should be like together in one sort of um, emblem. Bakeries and Tacos Pastor. And so wherever you go in the city, anywhere you go, they, this, it, they're decorated beautifully with Christmas trees and lights and uh, even like where I'm living, the grounds. I'm going to try to take a, a little video tonight maybe. The grounds are all lit up with traveling lights and gigantic Santas and a Rudolph and a snow globe. But everything, because it's Mexico City, nothing is regular size. I think another good name for Mexico City could be Land of the Giants because everything here is super gigantic, which is why the word super is so popular because nothing is regular size. Everything is super size. And uh, so, you know, imagine, take Chicago, but multiply it by 10, and I mean the whole city, and then add about one and a half million more lights and that's Mexico City at Christmas time. But yet, it's like today's a beautiful sunny day. It's around 65. And I guess the rest of the week, it'll be even a little warmer. And from what I hear, the weather is nice in Chicago too. And I'm happy for my family and friends in Chicago that they are not enduring the ice storms and slush and everything else that goes along, usually with uh, Chicago in winter. Um, and also, I I'm going to say this. In Chicago, there's 
a lot more crime than there used to be. And I mean, just like from a few years ago to now. Um, and I didn't always feel that safe in Chicago on the big shopping streets, Michigan Avenue, State Street. Um, you can, uh, you know, it just definitely feels different. And you do see some police, but there's not enough police. And uh, whereas in Mexico City, there is nowhere you can go that there aren't police everywhere. Um, there are very serious guards uh, guarding everything. And, you know, so I feel a lot safer in Mexico City. Um, and if only my Spanish was better, um, I'd probably feel, you know, it would be even better. But that's on me. I have some mental block where the only Spanish I seem to learn comes from telenovelas. So if I need to tell somebody I'm pregnant or I need to tell someone I love you, I hate you, get out, I'm pregnant, don't go, go, um, what do you want, what are you doing here? Um, I've got all those expressions down pat. But once again, I still haven't mastered where is the dry cleaners. Um, and so thank God for Google Translate. Now, having said all of that, um, I am happy to report that my mistakes in Mexico are starting to diminish because I'm just, you know, I just kind of getting used to things and figuring out how to get things done and all my workarounds for not understanding Spanish. Uh, and so I don't really have a mistake to tell you about. Now, I'm happy to report that when I start traveling outside of Mexico, believe me, that's going to open the door to a lot of mistakes. But right now, at this point, things seem pretty settled in the mistake department. And since it is, since it's Christmas, um, I thought I would do something a little different for this podcast, which is I would read a story that I wrote that was actually published in an anthology from the Test Literary Series, which is a group I belong to in Chicago. And when I was back home, I did a reading of the story along with other people that uh, are also in the Test Literary Series. We did it at the Whistler, a bar in Chicago um, that has a stage. And there's nothing that makes a bar better than a stage. Um, and uh, so I thought, and the anthology just about sold out at the uh, at the event. And all of the proceeds from the anthology went to a group called Resilience Chicago, which is a group that supports and helps victims or survivors of uh, sexual assaults. So the book just about sold out. The money went to a great cause. I was very proud to be included. And here is my story called 13 Televisions. And it's a true story. It's a bit of a memoir. Okay, I'm going to start now. 13 Televisions. On the night before my mother died, she asked us to prop her up on the big pillows that surrounded her so she could watch the Emmy Awards on the flat screen TV that sat right next to her bed. This meant disturbing her beloved dog, Leah, who believed those pillows were hers. Their daily battle for control of those pillows continued right through the last days of my mother's life, and they reveled in every minute of it. My mother loved watching award shows on television, especially the red carpet spectacle, 
More than anything, she enjoyed criticizing what the stars were wearing and their hair and makeup. Her constant complaint was that the women wore very unflattering hairstyles and didn't use enough lipstick. When a celebrity that was slightly less than super traffic, I'm sorry, super attractive, made his or her way to one of the reporters, my mother loved to drop her ultimate insult. Who told him that he could be a movie star? On this night, we all crowded into the bedroom with our mother to watch the parade of stars and listen to her litany of opinions. But after a few minutes of the usual red carpet inanities, my mother asked us to roll her back and turn off the television. She had had enough. She was tired, tired of everything. As we moved her and shifted the pillows that enveloped her and gave her yet another small dose of morphine, she asked us, what's the point of life if you can't even enjoy the red carpet of the Emmys? The next day, she faded away quietly to join our father in the giant TV room in the sky. Because if heaven is what you enjoyed most on earth, then for my parents, heaven would be a big family room filled with endless televisions stretching towards infinity and remote controls that never get lost, even in infinity. No one in the history of the world loved television more than my parents, which is how, at our family's viewing peak, we ended up with 13 TVs in our house before cable. Since there were only six of us, and four of us were kids, and none of us were network executives, I understand how that might sound odd, but it never seemed odd to us. We didn't always have 13 TVs. It happened gradually, over time, and it might have all started when I was eight years old and a fan of a sitcom called Occasional Wife. This was a series about a swinging bachelor who had to pretend to be married in order to get promoted at work. Hijinks ensued. I guess in 1966, this was a perfectly plausible scenario. It will come as no surprise that the series lasted only two seasons, to 1968, the year that everything changed in America. Back then, I would watch that show and many others on the television in our living room, or, as Chicagoans call it, the front room. My parents also had a television in their bedroom, and my grandmother had one in her bedroom too. These three televisions were all black and white. At some point, my mother began sending me to our next-door neighbors to watch Occasional Wife on their television. The Vitalis were as close to us as our own family. They only had one television for the three of them, the matriarch, who we called Aunt Rose, and her two adult children. But that one television was a color television. I guess I love this show so much that my mother must have asked Aunt Rose if I could watch Occasional Wife in color at their house every week. I know there are probably better things to wish for, but I do wish I could go back to 1966 just to hear how my mother asked for this favor. I'd also love to know what the Vitalis thought about this weird request. But there I was, every Tuesday night like clockwork, sprawled across their front room floor, watching Occasional Wife on their only television. After the first season of the show, I'm not sure if the Vitali sought to sever this arrangement 
or if my mother just didn't like the idea of having to send one, having to send one of her children to a neighbor's house to watch color TV. Remarkably, no one in this scenario seemed to wonder why an eight-year-old was so obsessed with a television show in which a playboy pretended he was married to advance his career. But whatever prompted the purchase, my parents bought a color television which brought the grand total of TVs in our house to four. Since there were three adults and three children at their t- that time, our television per person ratio was now 4.6. I'm sorry, four to six, which meant that there was two thirds of a television for every one person living in that house. But the odds of everyone having one, if not two TVs of their own, increased rapidly after that. The new TV for the front room was called a console. The TV sat inside of a fancy wooden cabinet. Ours was called Mediterranean style, even though I don't believe you would have ever seen anything like it anywhere near the Mediterranean. To get to the TV itself, you had to open the two ornate doors in the front of the cabinet. When those doors were closed, it just looked like you had a gigantic slab of wood sitting in your living room. Anyway, once my parents bought that colored TV, they were off to the races. The old black and white from the front room was moved into the bedroom I shared with my sister. Next, my parents bought a very small, futuristic, all-white portable TV that looked like something the astronauts would watch if they were allowed to watch TV on their way to the moon while they drank tang. That white TV was for the kitchen. The kitchen was my mother's kingdom, but we all spent a lot of time there. And I'm not kidding when I say that that TV was on from morning until night. And out of all the TVs in the house, and no matter how many more TVs were to come, the white TV was the one we had to be the most careful with. A few years later, my grandmother died and my youngest brother was born. My grandmother's TV went into our unfinished basement where my father had a small workroom. Now, he actually did no work in that workroom because no one was less handy than my father. His occasional attempts at home repair usually ended with a trip to the hospital, but his massive collection of nuts, bolts, and screwdrivers could easily fool visitors into thinking he was actually fixing something when the truth was that he was just watching TV. Eventually, my parents remodeled the house, adding two bedrooms to the attic, so that I had my own room. I was the oldest, and so with additional responsibilities came my own television. My sister shared the large bedroom across from mine, and they only had one TV. My grandmother's old room, which was right off of the kitchen, was turned into a den. And of course, my parents bought a new TV for the den. The den was a small room designed specifically for watching television. When my brother got a little older, they bought him a TV for his room, too. Now, it wasn't like we had a lot of money. My dad was a police officer who had to work several side jobs, and for many years, my mom didn't work outside of our home, and we only had one car. But I don't think we wanted for anything important, especially a place to watch TV. If you're keeping track, at this point, we were up to eight televisions. But if you had the idea that we all went to our own corners every day to watch TV alone, you'd be wrong. We actually liked to watch TV together. 
especially family classics on Sundays, series like All in the Family, and the variety shows like Sonny and Cher and The Carol Burnett Show. Many of the best memories of my family are tied into watching something together on television. My father was Jewish and my mother was Catholic, so we celebrated lots of holidays, but no one made us go to church or temple. And since we were children, no one was interested in our opinions on anything. Outside of Saturday chores, doing our homework and behaving, very little was expected of us, with one exception. I am not sure what was drilled into other kids, but our parents considered a working knowledge of both the location and the contents of the TV guide critical. The jewel in the crown of our television setup was the fact that ultimately my parents had three televisions in their bedroom. Three televisions in their bedroom. Of course, they had the big one at the foot of the bed that they had always had, but my father liked to roll over onto his left side to fall asleep with the TV on. So they bought him a very small TV that sat right next to his side of the bed. My mother really envied the setup, so she bought a small one for her side of the bed so that she could roll over to her right side to watch TV. Their individual TVs were close enough for them to turn on and turn off, but the big portable at the foot of the bed didn't have a remote. They fixed that problem by yelling out the names of all of their children children in chronological order repeatedly until someone finally showed up to turn off the TV. When that happened, the two dogs that also slept in their bed, who I can only compare to the lapdogs of the Chinese emperor, acted annoyed at any disturbance that did not involve a snack for them. Five years later, my father bought a small small portable he could watch in the backyard. A second TV was added to my sister's room, and for Father's Day, we all chipped in and bought my dad a tiny TV, the size of a portable radio that could run on batteries. That was our 13th TV, and one of the few times I ever saw my father cry because now he could finally watch television in the bathroom. When my parents remodeled our old house one last time, combining the kitchen and den into the open family room my mother had always wanted, they continued the tradition of multiple TVs in one room. The white TV still sat on the kitchen counter, just a few feet away from the big one in the furniture pit, and they still had the three TVs in their bedroom. However, most of their kids had moved out, and we took our TVs with us, like a dowry. Several years later, my parents left our old house too and moved into a small modern condo with two TVs in their bedroom, one in the living room, and one in the spare bedroom. That made four TVs for the two of them, which was their version of downsizing. We didn't know it was going to be my mom's last Christmas when my siblings and I bought her a gift certificate from ABT Appliances meant to cover the cost of a new, gigantic smart TV. I took her to ABT to pick out the TV on a snowy winter day, right after Christmas. My mom hated to go out in the cold and snow, but I think she knew this was her last season, and she was eager to watch TV in a new way. Our father had died several years before, and the older she got, the more important her television had become. When the new TV arrived, 
She, my mom moved the big old Sony tube television from the living room into her bedroom, but she still kept a small TV right next to her bed. When my mom became bedridden that summer, my sister moved into her bedroom to help take care of her. Andrea brought her own TV, which she placed next to her side of the bed, and so my mom was back to three televisions in her bedroom. But by this time, my mom was very hard of hearing, and so her TV was super loud. I believed this, in turn, caused some hearing loss in my sister, whose TV was then even louder. I slept in the spare room and never had to turn on my TV. I just listened to theirs. That night, that September night, my mother asked us to turn off her television in the midst of the Emmy's red carpet. That was the last time my mother ever watched TV. She left us the next day to go watch some television with our father. Well, I hope you enjoyed the story if you're still listening. And uh, let me know what you think about it. And my next podcast will be probably my last podcast from Mexico City for a while. Because, like I said, I plan on traveling around. So I'll continue the tradition of the podcast And like I said, I'm sure the mistakes will be coming fast and furious. But what I will probably be talking about in my next podcast is about the experience of Christmas, New Year's, the holidays in Mexico City. Um, It would be a great way to go out from the city that is so remarkable, so friendly, so beautiful, so elegant, with such great food and such... uh, kindness and generosity. And everybody should come to Mexico City and try it out. Um, It will surprise you every day. Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year. And I will see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening.